I don't know her name. And that was almost three years ago. So she wouldn't even really look like herself. Now she would be growing into a young woman. This is the Bold Artist Podcast, where we talk about being brave and finding creative freedom. You want to get those beautiful things inside of your head out onto canvas? We're going to talk to real life artists and learn the skills and the courage it takes to do just that. I'm your host, Mary Janelle, a multi-form artist and creativity mentor, joined often by my co-host, Sharla Marskalk, painter of colorful portraits and founder of Bold School, an online space to learn bold color painting. Welcome, and let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Bold Artist Podcast. Today, it is our pleasure to hear from Sharla Marskalk, a story that none of us have heard before and most of us are wondering. You might be familiar with the portrait, the iconic portrait that we all call Kenya Girl. It's a portrait that almost every student has the chance to paint when they take Bold Color Boot Camp through Bold School. And everyone wonders, where does Kenya Girl come from? And what is the story behind this beautiful portrait that we learn how to paint? And the only one who can tell us is Sharla herself, because (laughs) Sharla, you have met Kenya Girl in person, correct? Yes, I did. And I took the photo. So I, I took her photo and that's why we use it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I know there's so much more to it than that. <laughs> yeah. So let's back up and hear the story of what led you to even be in the right place at the right time to take that photo that everyone paints. And we all fall in love with Kenya Girl at some point through Bold Color Boot Camp. And for those of you who've tuned in and you're not quite sure um, what we mean by Bold Color Boot Camp, uh, Sharla is the founder of Bold School, who teaches online um, bold color painting. And there is one of the classes called um, Boot Camp, right? So yes. Bold Color Boot Camp. And so through that class, we paint the Kenya girl in bold colors. And she has a look (laughs) in her eyes that draws you in, that makes you wonder her story. And a lot of the community, the Bold School community say, what is the story behind Kenya Girl? And so I know that it's more than you just snapping her photo and then painting it. So can you back us up, Sharla, and tell us how you got there to be with Kenya Girl? Yes, it's it's a it's a good story. A good story in my life anyways. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I've kind of didn't even really think of what I was doing with that portrait until one day in our community um we started talking about her and everyone was asking like who she was and cuz I don't really explain that. Mm-hmm. And we we started realizing, you know, this beautiful little face has been painted thousands of times and shared and discussed. And we have a gallery on our website of the Kenya girl. And she's she's so beautiful. And she's been represented in such like vast um, variety of colors and uh, brushstrokes and everything. And people have everyone has their own connection with her. As we talk about when you paint a portrait, you know, you could spend hours with a face and Mm -hmm. it becomes a very intimate process of looking at every crevice of that face and getting to know the person and you often have conversations with them so in our community we talked about that and how we all know and love the kenya girl and she's changed a lot of people's lives because they've 
opened up um, beca- become a much more free, creatively free artist. So it's been a profound mm-hmm. moment for many people. So mm-hmm. we started talking about it and people are like, what's the story? And they want to know more. And I tell my friends about it, but I haven't really openly discussed it online until now. So the story, I mean, it really begins as me as an artist going back to my photography days and then you know moving into my uh, painting days. And I started to realize that I wanted to be able to paint, or I started to realize I enjoyed painting my own photographs more than painting references from somewhere else. And I think the, I mean, I love painting faces that I don't know because I can interpret them and make them into my own stories. Mm -hmm. But when I am able to photograph a person or an experience and then paint it, I have a deeper connection with that. So Mm -hmm. I started dreaming about traveling the world and, you know, meeting people of every culture, every genre, every age, you know, people just, I mean, everyone is unique and there's so many well, people I know, in the world. And we know how much you've shared before, how much you love the human face and the person, yeah. the, the people, like you love yeah. people. And so it's, I can see why that dream, why you dreamed that and why you wanted that. And, and we see it in your work. Mm-hmm. And I love traveling. So what a great mm-hmm. excuse to travel, take <laughs> yeah. my camera and travel yeah. and just enjoy these experiences and come home and then paint around those experiences. And mm-hmm. so that was my my dream. And um, I had started to create a few projects around that. So the day came where I started to consider Kenya as an option. And that came out of an experience with one of my best friends who's a doctor. And she knew a couple who were living, they're Canadian couple, that are based um, out of Kelowna when they're in Canada, but they'd been living in Kenya for a decade. And what brought them there originally was um, helping to rescue, rescue, rehabilitate kids that had been child soldiers in Mm -hmm. Uganda. And then they started working with, in an orphanage in Kenya where it was basically the same thing. These kids are living on the street little kids just living on the street they have no family they have nothing and you know they a lot in a lot of different countries they open up orphanages to put these kids in but it's still not much of an existence to be in an orphanage Mm -hmm. and they experienced that pretty quick that the orphanage and the people running it were often corrupt and the kids were running away from the orphanages and they didn't want to be there it wasn't really much better and so they started um excuse me, thinking about how they could fix that. Like how, how could it be better? So instead of orphanage, they closed the orphanage and instead of creating more of the same, they started finding local Kenyan families who would adopt these kids Mm. or foster them really off of the streets, take them into their families. And I mean, we all know here and there, that's the best option for these kids Mm -hmm. to have their own family environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot less uh, kids running back to the streets when they put them into their homes. So that was, that's what I love about the work they do. Out of that automatically came the need for medical care with these kids. Cause I mean, just basic things like having a Mm -hmm. cut and not having proper hygiene caused the cuts to get infected and no one knew what to do with them. So this couple, Larry and Francine, they, they said they would end up just carrying bandages everywhere they went to help people. And then word spread that they could fix things and people started coming to them. So then they started holding 
regular clinics and mm. there was then a need for a shelter for these clinics and it, it kind of a medical clinic clinic pretty much just grew out of that even though they're not medical they're not doctors or nurses it's just something that developed mm-hmm. and one of the sons that they had adopted and raised themselves had actually worked actually works now in the clinic and he's studying to be a doctor and I think his dream is to be a surgeon so he runs the clinic that they have now Mm. so my friend who's a doctor here wanted to travel there and check out the clinic and offer help and advice on on what they could do with the means that they have of course the clinic doesn't make money it requires uh, complete support Mm-hmm. And they use a lot of, um, well, they use whatever they can afford and whatever they can get their hands on. So my friend is a naturopath and she wanted to be able to go over there and see what type of local things they could use and how they could educate people in what they could do themselves to prevent a lot of the real basic issues that they are seeing every single day. So my friend Alana was talking about this. She was talking about this trip for probably a couple of years. And I was just a little bit jealous in the background, not really saying much. I'm not a doctor. What am I going to do? And I didn't even know this couple. And it was across the world. So it was obviously going to cost money. So she was talking about it. And then finally one day she's like, Sharla, I'm going to Kenya and I'm going this year. And I was like, oh, I want to come with you. And she's like, mm. well, come. <laughs> I'm like, Okay. <laughs> what do you want me to come for like what am I gonna do and she's like just come like there's always in these types of mission like situations there's always need so much need Mm -hmm. and I honestly had no clue what I was gonna go for but I knew I wanted to bring my camera I would photograph the whole thing and I'm sure that there would be a role for me to play so Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really commit like I was scared I I felt I think because she was going with such a a mission, like she's a doctor and she's going to go to this medical clinic and educate and help and treat patients. And like, I just had no idea what I was going to do. So I felt probably like I had no place there and I was just going to go and pretend that I was doing good. You know, like Mm -hmm. to me, there's not much worse than going on a mission strip and coming home and bragging about how, what I did in Kenya and I did nothing. I just, whatever that's how I was feeling right so I was a little bit worried I didn't I don't think I realized it was really happening until I got on the plane Mm. this wasn't just you and Alana or did you go with a lot of people uh there was a team of five of us went five uh yes so there was Alana um there's also a nurse that went with us there was me and two other girls that were actually a little bit more like me they're like my heart is to go and to help but they didn't know what they were bringing to the table in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was five of us, which was really exciting. I didn't even know these girls before I left. They were, um, they had connections with Larry and Francine. So I had done missions work before I'd gone to, with this type of work in mind to Central America. I had also traveled just on my own. My husband is from Zimbabwe, so I've been to Africa. Um, mm-hmm. Traveling itself wasn't necessarily Uh, the scary intimidating part it was that I didn't really know why I was going and I think it was that before when I got on the plane I didn't feel like my art was an important enough reason to go to this place where there's people Mm -hmm. who are suffering and poverty and sickness and I'm like I'm just going to bring my camera is that really an important reason Mm -hmm. to go and at that point were you thinking of yourself as mainly a photographer or you were making that transition from photography to painting what role was painting playing in your life at that time 
Um, I was working as a full-time painter and I had kind of put photography behind and hadn't really been using my own photography except for commission work. So if somebody wanted me to, mm. and I, I, I will still say this right now or to this day, I'll give this advice that if you have somebody wanting to commission you to paint a picture of their loved one, if you can go and photograph that person, your painting will be better because you mm. will interact with that person. And of course you need some photography skills, but even mm. if you're using your iPhone, you're interacting mm -hmm. with that person and you're getting to know them and they're getting to know you and you get to hear a bit about their story and all of that kind of thing. So when you paint them, you know this person, you've experienced their their spirit, you know, and their mm -hmm. expression and mannerisms. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I can paint way better when I'm able to do that. Mm -hmm. But my mm -hmm. my dream and my desire was to travel and photograph people so that I could come home and put together a body paint. of work, you know, mm -hmm. of, of those experiences. Mm -hmm. And I, I think probably because I felt like that was my own personal desire you know sometimes you think of your mm -hmm. your stuff as less important than other people's stuff so I think mm -hmm. that was what I had a lot of that going on and I was okay. feeling like I I don't know really what the word is like I didn't deserve to go in a sense this was just mm -hmm. something I wanted it wasn't really going to mm -hmm. benefit anybody else mm -hmm. but the point of me telling that part is that I learned a lot and I learned that mm -hmm. that was just silly and not true and that the work I was doing as an artist was equally important and so much mm -hmm. has come from it. Mm -hmm. And that's why the story, I think, is a good story to tell. Mm -hmm. So I was going as an artist, as a painter. My end goal at that point was to come home with a body of work, a body of photographic work that I could paint from and mm -hmm. hopefully have photographs that I would even want to have as part of those exhibitions, you know, have my paintings and my mm -hmm. photography. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what to expect because I hadn't gone on a trip, but that this was the, the purpose for that trip. I'd never yes. done that before. So it was a new experience. So I think um, when I was going through security and getting on the plane was the only moment where I actually believe this was true and actually happening. Wow. I, was, I was going yeah. and I was going to do it and I had my gear in hand. And I think from that moment on was when everything changed because um, it was waters I had never swam in before, really. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, so when you got to Kenya and you... Uh, I guess like Alana was focused on the medical center and you began to fit in as with your camera and as an artist, um, was Kenya girl there right when you <laughs> got off the plane or <laughs> not when you got off First the plane, but when I you took. arrived, <laughs> like yeah. how did that all unfold that as you met the village people in that community, how, how did it unfold that you met her and, and tell us about the role she played? Yeah, so the story gets a little further along. We we were there, I think, a week or so, and we went on a medical outreach. And mm -hmm. when uh, they have teams come over, they usually are able to go on outreaches because they cost more money. So what that meant is that we were staying in a little city, a little town, and we went to a village, which was, I think, about a three-hour drive outside of the city we the main uh, the capital of Kenya is Nairobi we were about eight hours from Nairobi so it was a small town it wasn't it wasn't Nairobi a big city like that so we were mm. staying in Kitali so we traveled about three hours into the bush where there's just tiny little remote villages 
Um, were you excited? Were you nervous? What What does was, that feel like? I was terrified. Were you? <laughs> we, yeah. We're in Africa and we're in the bush and we slept in tents. Like wow. it was, it was insane. Uh, it was, wow. it was scary, but they'd done this lot. So I was like, we're just going to go with it see what happens yeah. and it yeah, was in the trust the guides <laughs> yeah and it was in the yeah. desert so I had never really been in the in the desert oh, in Africa before yeah. I mean the first thing that happened was one we had two trucks and one of them broke down and mm. then the next thing that happened uh or maybe it was the same time I don't know we hit a motorcycle we actually think the motorcycle hit us because traffic is insane so all of a sudden this guy he actually said he thought he may have fallen asleep on his bike and he <laughs> hit the side of the van and went flying so we had to get this guy into our van and get him to the next town quickly before the police came because you're in Africa and you don't want to wow. wait for the police right so we get him to the next town and, and take care of him make sure he's okay like all that kind of stuff and we were there for a few hours just sitting in this town. You know, there's there's so many things to deal with there. As soon now we're in a smaller town where a van full of white people, so everybody and their dog is there finding out what we're doing and wow. trying to talk to us and there's kids everywhere. The street kids are coming and um, there's nowhere to go to the bathroom. In Africa there's nowhere to go to the bathroom ever except a tree. And now we're, <laughs> we're in, and like, even, even when there is a public washroom, you choose the tree because they're really, right. <laughs> really bad. So yeah. these are the issues that we're dealing with in this little town. So we take care of the guy and we take care of some of the, we feed some of the street kids and we take off again. And the reason it took three hours to get there is not because of distance. It's actually because of really terrible roads. So mm. anyways, we make it to the village and this village is in, in the middle of the desert. There's just a few, like few trees around, not much. And people are apparently like walking for days to meet us there wow. because they hear that this medical mm -hmm. outreach team is coming. So these villages, mm. it was in a, a place called Pokot and these little tiny villages, um, they say like 10 years ago, they were running around naked. Like they had no mm. contact with the cities. They were just, they were very tribal, very much in the old ways. Mm. Now there's a lot more communication and they're able to travel and communicate a little bit, not much. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they are a little bit more, I mean, I'll use the word westernized, but I won't say what was not really westernized, but they wear clothes mm. now. Mm -hmm. um so these people are coming like for hours and we're setting up and it takes us a few hours to kind of set up and get the clinics ready and they're just li lining up they're just they're just all sitting there for hours waiting for this clinic to wow. start and it's hot really really hot mm -hmm. i mean it's just an incredible experience um so we're a remote desert village. There's hundreds of people around. There's kids, there's old people. There's so much more, so much dynamics happening within these little villages. And like the, the chiefs, they didn't come until we were ready to start. And then these women and children that have been lining up for hours, the chiefs come in and they like go right to the front of the line. They're like, okay, you're open. We're ready to be seen. And we're like, mm -hmm. no, no, no. Well, I didn't say anything. I was just photographing. But Francine's like, no, I don't think so. These women and children are sick. These children are sick. They've been here for hours, dehydrated and in the sun, and they're getting seen first. And she's standing up to these tribal 
chiefs who don't mm-hmm. even allow women to speak to them <laughs> sometimes you know it was mm-hmm. so there's a lot of tense moments there yeah. um so it kind of it gets started and you know we mm-hmm. i i keep saying we i was really not anything to do with the clinic i was really just photographing and filming mm-hmm. but we're running out of so were medicine. you just at that time with when, when, when you're painting us this picture were you snapping pictures the whole time were you um talking to people or what what were you doing in those moments yeah so i was really just taking photos and Mm -hmm. in the beginning you know there's a lot of people around so there was a lot to photograph i was photographing Mm -hmm. the doctors and nurses all working and all that Mm -hmm. it was a really neat little spot and then there's kids everywhere and they're just staring at me because I'm just <laughs> holding this. I don't even know if they know what a camera Strange is. Strange contraption, you know? like yeah. This weird person with this weird thing and pointing at them and <laughs> trying to get them to smile and they're not smiling. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I, this is what it's, it was awkward and weird and I had to try and figure that out. But I also had uh, my iPad with me and I started realizing mm-hmm. like these kids a lot some of them knew what I was doing I would show them the pictures on the back of my camera and they mm-hmm. love seeing themselves and that you know they probably don't get to experience yeah. that very often yeah no one has phones no one has technology so I got my iPad out and I started taking videos of of the kids and letting mm-hmm. them watch the videos and they were just like it was the most amazing thing I think they'd probably ever seen <laughs> they loved it That's I spent amazing yeah I literally spent hours videoing these kids and letting them watch themselves and wow. I was able like interacting with them and then some of the young moms were coming around and and communicating with me and and just hanging out and like holding my hand and it was mm-hmm. we we had we couldn't speak they oh, spoke yeah. um you know the tribal languages so mm-hmm. I we had no way to communicate what was this really cool experience so uh near the end of the day i was kind of just sitting down on the ground with like i don't know how many kids around me and they're all watching this ipad i mean they they just didn't know what it was and i started thinking like they've never even watched tv so this is just such a phenomenon to them you know this Mm -hmm, thing mm -hmm. that's here I actually had Netflix movies downloaded on my iPad so I could watch on the plane. And I turned on some of these movies because they were different scenes and sights. And I mean, the looks on their faces, it was just incredible. <laughs> so then I opened wow. up Procreate, which we talk about at Bold yes. quite a bit as artists, we use Procreate. And yes. I started drawing with my finger on the screen and then everyone wanted to turn, which I realized was a it must grave seem like mistake. magic to them. <laughs> yeah, it's but amazing. then this one girl, this one girl who was actually quite, um, I don't know, may I could say even aggressive in her communication with me and wanting to see the camera and wanting to see the iPad. She was a little bit aggressive, but I started. I realized why it was because she had knowledge. She wanted. She was trying to share, and she couldn't mm-hmm. share because she couldn't talk to me. So she took the iPad and she wrote in English, welcome on the iPad. And it was like... That gave me shivers. Yeah, it actually makes me like choke up a little when I tell the story Mm -hmm. because she had been like in my face this whole time. And she may have even been understanding things I was saying, you know, because sometimes Mm. it's easier to understand a language than it is to speak it or you feel intimidated to speak it because you might not say it right. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden she just says, welcome. And I just look at her and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. This is so yeah. beautiful. Like she's actually, I don't know what they think. They might think mm-hmm. that I'm like this, they want me gone. I don't know. I'm not right. giving them medicine, oh, but yeah. she's like, welcome to our community. It was just mm-hmm. so beautiful. 
So I was in the at the same time photographing everybody there, and that is where the Kenya girl was. She was mm. just waiting there at the clinic. She was very quiet. She didn't interact. I don't know her name, and that was almost three years ago. So she wouldn't even really look like herself now. She would be growing into a young woman. But that was where she was. She was in Pukat at this medical clinic waiting with her family to be seen. And eventually she was seen and she left. Um, as far as I remember, she was never a part of that little iPad group that I had okay. going on. And did you just take one photo of the Kenya girl or multiples? Like, was it a little photo shoot? Or did you just happen to snap one that has become the the main reference photo for all of these painters to paint of her it was just the one that wow. one photo there was another young girl that she was there with her mom and they ended up hanging out with me almost the entire day and she loved she was a little model i called her mm. my model <laughs> and i have so many photos of her but i didn't actually i don't know why i didn't choose to use one of her paintings or one of her mm -hmm. photos for that painting because paint. mm -hmm. i had a whole experience with her but the kenya girl it was just such a beautiful picture that mm -hmm. i had taken of her and she was just looking right into my camera and the expression on her face and I thought she was beautiful and inspiring and she just became the one so yes. I didn't know uh, that I was going to be doing an online class when I was in Pocot taking those photos I was mm -hmm. really just taking them so that I could come back and tell the story of my experience in Kenya and the people of Kenya and it began to develop into, I, I got a real heart for the work that was being done there. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted, th the story became about what was happening in not just the people of Kenya, but what Larry and Francine were doing <clears throat> and the children, the, the children that, um, you know, are, are just forgotten mm -hmm. and left on the streets. Like these children in Pocot had parents. They, mm -hmm. they weren't homeless kids, but the children that we saw everywhere outside of the villages in this in the towns and cities there were just homeless kids everywhere mm -hmm. on the street and for me the story became about the kids of kenya um now the, the kenya girl was she had a, a family in this little mm -hmm. village they had the grandparents the grandmothers and the mothers and aunts and uncles and cousins everybody was there and they took care of each other and it was actually a very beautiful thing to see the family that these villages had mm. in the cities we saw we we went to um at one of the local dumps where the larry and francine would often go and get to know the kids there and help them and there were eight-year-old kids living in the mm. dump so mm -hmm. the children of kenya became um a big part of my story i think when i came back do you feel that when you you know, begun to teach people to paint the Kenny girl, it is a way of saying the children are not forgotten. It's like she represents all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what I was going for. I think like mm -hmm. I, I was planning when I started the online class to paint an adult. I often mm -hmm. say the best, uh, like you paint a young adult, they're um, the easiest to paint if to break it down that's not exactly mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. whole truth but that would have been my intention but i was just so moved by the children and that's i just decided to go with where my heart was more so than mm -hmm. where my head was in choosing the reference for her or for the mm -hmm. class which was her um mm -hmm. yeah so when i think about kenya that is what it was yes <laughs> 
when I have interviewed so many artists here on the Bold Artist podcast, mm-hmm. and a lot of them have painted the Kenya girl, and they, like several of them, tell me how impactful it was for them to paint her. And mm-hmm. so I've known, like I, ha- I personally hadn't heard the fullness of this story um, until now. And yet I knew that there was something more because painting her uh, for these artists is memorable and they're so proud of, in a good way, of that that handiwork of painting her. And they're, you know, a lot of times the Kenya girl will be hanging right behind them. Uh, the artist when I'm interviewing and she's right there and they're so proud of of how far they come as artists learning from you and painting her and so I think it's really special that now the artist can hear the story of who she was and she wasn't your model (laughs) she wasn't trying to model she has no idea she's been painted this many times and it was only that one photograph and that one photograph has become thousands of paintings And Mm -hmm. not just paintings, not just the act of putting paint on a canvas, but transformative, like transformation is happening in these artists, in their skill, but also I I believe in their hearts because there's something about her, the expression and the way of us saying the children are not forgotten. Mm -hmm. And that's so powerful. Yeah, I would agree. Mm -hmm. You know, the children Mm -hmm. there were... It's interesting because I, I say like they most of the children there had families. Now, even if mm-hmm. they were orphaned there, the village was taking care of them, whereas mm-hmm. the, the children in the cities were were left to starve on the street mm-hmm. and die on the street. And people, I guess they just were used to it. Um, I don't know. I don't fully understand why there were a lot of people that cared for them. That's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Um, but the kids in Pocot, like they were... It was interesting to watch them. They were starving. Like these these villages were very poor and they were very hungry. Mm. And mm. the kids were like docile. Like they they would just look at you. They wouldn't smile. They they didn't have a whole lot of energy. You know, some of the kids that were around me with the iPad, they were a bit different. Um, but for the most part, the kids, they didn't know how to play games. Like they didn't have toys. They didn't know what to do with a ball. Like we, we brought stuff to give to them and to play with them. And they didn't, we had to teach them what to do with these things. One of the things we would bring, which is a really simple, easy thing to, to transport. Cause we would bring, a, we, there was a lot of medicine that we had to take. So it was a lot of things we had to pack. Uh, but we would bring balloons and because you could blow them up and they became balls and you could play with them. One reason that we wouldn't actually bring balls like a soccer ball in part because they took up a lot of space, but the ground was covered in thorns. And I guess Larry and Francine had learned quite a long time ago that taking balls were pointless because they would pop on these thorns and the kids would be devastated. Mm. So we would bring balloons which would also pop, but they were easier to carry and they were cheaper. And Um, kind of fun when they pop too. (laughs) Yeah. So we would blow up balloons and the kids would just play with these balloons. They thought it was the most amazing thing, but we had to teach them what to do. They had never seen these things before. And they, once we started interacting and they knew that we were safe, you know, we, they were scared of us. They would run real easy if you spoke too loud. Um, But yeah, they would, they, once they knew that we were safe and it was fun, you know, they would just, come to play they just loved it mm-hmm. and then in the morning when we woke up because we slept in tents the kids would start to come around 
and we were eating we had to eat because we had a long hot day ahead of us and the kids would come around so we share our food with them mm. and one of this the most tragic moments was these kids would they would eat some of the food we'd give them and they would throw up because oh. they weren't their stomachs couldn't handle it it's we weren't mm. giving them like um, junk food or even rich food it was that they are so hungry that was when you started mm -hmm. to see like how sick and hungry these kids really were wow so the yeah. kids of Pakat were were very interesting to watch they were very different than the kids that we know mm -hmm. I mean it, they were completely different than the kids that we know here in America so that was mm -hmm. a really interesting experience and that was the Kenya girl and she just mm -hmm. sat there and she watched me and then I took her picture so that was mm -hmm. who she was and where she comes from. And the other thing, like, I mean, uh, Larry and Francine still go to Pocot and, and have mission or outreaches there, medical outreaches there. But the people that come, come from all of the surrounding villages. So you never really know if the same people will be back again or not. Right. So I've, I'm often asked, like, will you be able to show her the paintings or can we yeah. send them? Can we send something to her? And we i say we can't promise that we'll ever see her again or know where she is or how to find her but the village itself is continually supported by larry and francine's work and mm -hmm. we're currently um raised have we have a gofundme page currently i don't know how long we'll have that up for the work that they do in pocot so uh bold school as and me i mean that's just an ongoing thing that we have a relationship that we have and something that i'll support for a very long time because i believe mm -hmm. in the work that they're doing so we do try as hard as we can to give it back to that community where the mm -hmm. where the kenya girl came from but mm -hmm. i can't say or promise that she will directly benefit from anything mm -hmm. that we're doing because we don't know where she is really yeah she may never know the impact yeah. that she's had and how she's been um part of the story of yeah. Charla and Bold School and so many artists. It's a beautiful story and it's beautiful to know that she represents just so much more than a little girl. She mm -hmm. represents a, a way bigger picture of a community and remembering that the children there are not forgotten. It's, it's very heart-wrenching, but special to know that through your talent, and your obedience to go, your willingness to go, uh, even though you didn't even know why you were going, <laughs> you know, you were just like, here I am with my camera, everyone else is doing medicine and what seems to be, or you could think of it as the important work, but what you have done is so important and so special. It's like you've preserved and captured a piece of history and humanity and, mm -hmm and helped it to carry forward into legacy it's really powerful yeah and you know i think that seeing the impact that she's had on other mm -hmm. people's lives and the artist transformations that have happened and um you know it's, it's a little bit of a reminder of our lives and how mm -hmm. we can be impactful into other people's lives without even knowing it without mm -hmm. ever hearing the story you wonder if the work you're doing or the the relationships you're making or even the art that you're painting is is purposeful or is there any mm -hmm. point to it mm -hmm. and often we don't know what we're contributing to the world and mm -hmm. even though um our kenya girl may or may not ever receive anything back from the work you know the 
things that mm-hmm. she's offered out. I think that if her heart could know the impact that she's had on people's lives here, uh, you know, it would be an incredible thing for her to know. I think mm-hmm. that she would absolutely love it. I do plan to someday, it's not in the works right now, but someday create a book of the paintings and Mm -hmm. give it to Larry and Francine. And then you never know where it might show up, where it might end up. And maybe given the right time, we can like put a call out, see if we can find her. That's a little dream that I have. That'd be so amazing. And it could very well happen. Yeah, it would be so full circle and so special for her to know and see. Yeah, that's a dream that I have. You have such a way when you paint portraits of capturing the beauty and the essence of of people that I think it would be just so special for her simply to see the portrait you painted, let alone all those that you have taught how to paint. Mm-hmm. It, I think it might actually, if she ever gets the chance to know, it might be so special is overwhelming like I don't even know if she can yeah. comprehend I know <laughs> it, probably, comprehend it, it would it. be hard it would be hard mm-hmm. to comprehend I mean I don't know where she might end up in school in university yeah. who knows I, I pray for her that that she'll have blessings mm-hmm. in her life like that mm-hmm. and to someday see a book of her portraits like I think that would overwhelm a lot of people yeah <laughs> it would overwhelm a lot yeah. of people yeah yeah and I mean it always comes down to also monetary value that she might freak out and be like you guys did what with my face <laughs> and there is always that issue of the idea of taking somebody else's portrait and using it mm. But mm-hmm. I do, I, I mean, uh, yeah, it's easy to say this in a public platform, but if I ever found her, she wouldn't mm-hmm. go away empty handed. That's for sure. For the, mm-hmm. the impact that she's had on my life and mm-hmm. everybody else's life, I, mm-hmm. would, I would do what I could for her if we ever found her again. So my hope is that one That's day amazing. we will find her. But in the meantime, uh, we do support the community and the village and the work that happens there. So if you're interested in that, um, mm-hmm. We have information on the Bold School blog, um, and you can always contact support and find out more information too about how you can support and help if you're interested. If you've been impacted by the Kenya Girl and you want to help out, yes. And there's some informative videos on YouTube as well on the Bold School channel. Yes. There's some informative vid- videos of your friends that are working there, yeah. um, the message, the purpose, and mission. And so you can get more information on YouTube as well. Mm -hmm. And so if there's anything that you would like to leave our listeners and watchers today, Sharla, about the story of the Kenya girl, the children in Africa, the message that was in your heart as a photographer and painter, what would it be that you'd want to leave us with closing words? Um, You know, I think what I look back and I look back at, I think it's probably why I dwelled on the part of the story so long about choosing to go to Kenya and like, is this Mm -hmm. meaningful? Like, should I go? Like, what is my role? I'm not going to save lives. I'm not going to give people diagnosis and medicine and make them feel better. Should I go? And feeling almost like I wasn't worthy of going or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, our, Mm -hmm. our issues are and our our lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, I look back and if I had not followed my heart in it or I I believe that God led me there and that if I had just trusted and followed him to go mm-hmm. um if I hadn't have gone I wouldn't have experienced any of that I wouldn't have grown I wouldn't have known any of those mm-hmm. people or met any of those people I mean of course it changes you just being there mm-hmm. but when I look at how it impacted my art and I mean I, I have um 
since then I've begun a business and I've, I've, I believe that I be, I did that because I wanted to make, there's, there's a whole other story behind yeah. everything. Well, and there is going to be a continuation. So let's not move yeah. to the continuation too soon because there is a whole lot more to the story and um, mm-hmm. a very impactful story that happened in Africa that we want to continue in the next podcast. Um, but in closing of today's show, I I feel like it's there's just been a message here today of whether you feel worthy or not, whether you feel like equipped or the right person. Sometimes there's just steps you have to take boldly to -hmm. do what you know is in your heart. And you might find yourself in some place that you feel like you don't belong, but you do. Mm -hmm. And then you never, never know what ripple effects can come out of it, even from a single photograph. And that photograph that has just changed so many hearts and lives just by the look on her face. And so it's, it's such a beautiful story and a reminder to us to step through uh, all of those, just the things that we're called to, to step through it with confidence mm-hmm. and not second guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I came home with not just a, a body of photography work that I could paint from, mm. but I, I came back with a a massively burning mm-hmm. desire mm-hmm. to do more. And I remember to, that. Yeah, I wanted mm-hmm. I wanted to do more for Larry and Francine to help them with the work they're doing because it was just incredible. Mm-hmm. And the boys that I met on the street just have still, I still see their faces so clearly. And I didn't photograph them all because when you're in that moment, you're not necessarily thinking. I mean, I'm, I met eight-year-old boys that were the same age as my own mm-hmm. son at home. Mm-hmm. And I remember this one boy that was on the way to Pocahontas he was just this little dirty eight-year-old boy on the street and he's standing there all big and tough and I put my arm around him and he he fell into me Mm. like just he wanted love like he didn't have a mom he's literally living on the street with other boys and I I just came home and I know that I I can't save all those boys I don't even know if I can save one of them they they often don't even want to be saved they don't even know what that means and Mm -hmm. but I had this burning desire to do more and to help them and a big reason why I started recording my first online class was because I wanted to be able to have some form of income so like uh, I mean art the art world is not necessarily you're not getting a paycheck every week it's just Mm -hmm. that does not happen Mm -hmm. so I wanted to have some form of a regular income where I could Mm -hmm. actually follow through on the ideas that I had and how I could help the work mm-hmm. that was happening I there. I remember that. I do remember when you came back from Africa and we were texting and you just told me it was mind blowing and you had so much in your heart that you wanted to do for Africa. And I think that that's a really key part of this interview today and hearing your story is that um, people would know that there's so much more to the work you do as an instructor, um, as an artist, that that there's so much more there behind your drive. It's it's not only about talent. It's it's got heart. Yeah, and and what mm-hmm. I've realized since then is that we all have these burning passions. Mm-hmm. We all have mm-hmm. messages and stories and people we can impact. So what like even just me, okay, I'll I'll sell an online class, I'll make some money, I'll send some to Africa or maybe I'll go back to Africa. That's mm-hmm. just me. But now mm-hmm. all of a sudden other people 
because of this photograph and this painting mm. of the Kenya girl and learning and, learning and stepping up their yes. work. They're mm. now burning with their own passions and desires mm. and the stories that are coming out of people like just Stephen Walden, who was on the podcast not long ago, yeah. like his the stuff he's doing is just incredible. And mm -hmm. there's a whole ton of them. I could list probably 10 off the top of my mm -hmm. head of the artists that I know that have since changed. Mm -hmm. And it's not it's not I don't know how to say it, but it's not because of me that any of this has happened. It's it's ripple effect though. It's a ripple sure. effect of mm -hmm. so many things. And mm -hmm. but had I not stepped out and did it, had I just said mm -hmm. I'm not important enough or mm -hmm. I don't have a message that's important enough is is probably it or my work mm -hmm. doesn't matter enough, then I wouldn't have done it. And mm -hmm. all of this, you know, all of these ripples would have been nothing. They wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. So well, I, I often incredible, really. I often joke a little with you about how when I interview artists, they'll have thank you messages for me to give to Sharla. <laughs> <laughs> and I I want to say though, on behalf of of everyone who has learned from you and you've had that ripple effect, thank you for being brave enough and bold enough to go to Africa and let that story, not just live out the story, but to like actually let it pierce your heart and change yeah. you and transform yeah. you and so thank you for that and what you've brought back to us and created so that there has been the ripple effect so next week in uh the continuation of the podcast we want to dive a little deeper into a very impactful i don't want to say what it is but um something that changed your life while it's, you were it's there the moment Africa. you just said it's allowing it to pierce my heart it's, it's i'm going to tell you about the moment that literally pierced my heart and i'm going to tell you that i had no choice like at that moment i it wasn't even my own will at play anymore and that moment was uh oh yeah okay i'll tell you in the next okay show. <laughs> we'll see you in the next show everyone thank you so much for being here with us and hearing this powerful story of the kenya girl um the portrait the iconic portrait that we paint at bold school and for hearing the story and Charlotte's heart, thank you for being here with the Bold Arts Podcast and we'll see you next week. Meanwhile, keep creating.